Glad that you are here. Welcome on the way into all of our campuses. They hand you the notes, and if you want to get the notes out real quick and a pen, if you're going to take any other additional notes, anything like that, uh, we'll give you a chance to do that. While you do that, let me welcome all of our campuses, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, uh, Lone Tree, our folks that uh, are on our online campus, and then those that will listen the next couple of weeks, however you're a part of the greater JFC family. We're glad that you are, and we do welcome you. We're in a series for Easter that we're calling the most interesting man in the world. I've already said this last week as we began it. Uh, you might recognize that. Maybe you weren't here, and you're like, where have I heard that before? It's from a beer commercial. I'll admit it right off the bat. We, we uh, are taking it from a beer commercial. However, um, we're not advertising um, that thought. We just simply, Dos Equis took the whole um, advertising idea of the most interesting man in the world. And as we were looking at Easter, we thought, you know what? The truth is, Jesus is the most interesting man in the world. And if we could take back what I think was stolen from us and lift him up high, it'll work perfect. Now, if you're like, how can you blatantly rip something off like that? Let me tell you what I'm planning next year already. <laughs> so that you, I've already, so Easter next year falls in March, not in April, but in March. And we're going to call it March Madness. How could they kill Jesus? That's, that's what we're going to call it. You think I'm kidding. But that's what we're going to call it next year. And I've already thought we're going we're gonna to do T-shirts and the whole thing. And we'll, yeah, so just get ready for this. So anyway, that's, uh, that's how my mind, my staff is like we are. Yes, I thought about this this week and we haven't had a chance to meet yet. It's going to be a great series. So tell your friends now, one year from now, Easter, JFC. Okay, uh, here, here's where we'll go with this uh, for, for, for this weekend. Um, we, we're, we're taking the three weeks, last week, this week, and the next week with Easter, we're talking about at all of our campuses why Jesus was the most interesting man, why he is the most interesting man, why he'll be the most interesting man. So last week we began with, um, with, with him in history. And if you didn't hear that message, I would encourage you to go to our website and listen to it. We just talked simply about the difference between uh, what it means to teach about history and what it means to be the one who makes history or who creates history or, or who has designed history. We tried to lift up Jesus in that right there and tell why we think he's the most interesting man in the world. Where we'll go this weekend, I'll talk about why he's the most interesting man right now. Now, look, I have to personalize this and make it why he's the most interesting man to me. And in doing that, I think I can lift him up so that you can see, like, yeah, I get that, and I agree with that. And I, I know that many of you are already, like, you've made that decision, and you're on, you're on board with what, with what I'm teaching. But many of you, uh, you're here, and maybe you're just invited for the next couple of weeks, or you happen to be in town this weekend. Uh, maybe you're a believer. Maybe you're a seeker. Maybe you're a skeptic. Wherever you find yourself in that realm, I still think uh, we can point some things out to you that be helpful to you today and explain why we believe what we believe, especially about this time of year and about Christ. Now, in doing this, we've had a little bit of fun with it. Uh, you'll know if you've ever seen the commercial, uh, they have the same character. He comes on, he does some kind of magnificent feat, and at the end of it, uh, his little tagline is to say, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I drink Dosecchi's, so I stay thirsty, my friend. You know what I'm talking about, right? All right, so we thought, what, what could we say about, if it were Jesus talking, the, the Bible is full of, of truly magnificent things that he's done, things that are hearts to things that no one else can do, and we just look at those things. What could we take and make it? I kind of challenged our teaching team, come up with some of those slogans. So here are the ones that we took from this week. Uh, this would be Jesus talking, same thing. I don't always spit, but when I do, blind people see. How about that one right there? I like, I like that one. That, in the Bible, again, in the Bible. How about this one right here? Uh, I don't always write in the dirt, but when I do, they put it in the Bible. I like that one too. I thought that was perfect. So uh, next week, we'll, we'll finish that off right there. The most interesting man in the world today. I'm going to use uh, Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to tell you when Jesus became the most interesting man in the world to me. That's how I'm going to phrase this. When, when, it, when it captured my attention... When it, when it took over in my life, when, 
when I heard God really speak to me for the very first time in my life, when, when it framed uh, why I do what I do, it happened to come from this particular uh, chapter and verse. Now, I'm going to read this to you, and it kind of stands alone by itself. But then give me a chance to talk about how it framed not only, not only when I was 15, the first time that I, I really, when I read this, I heard from God. 15 years old. That's a long time ago now when I look back at it. I, 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 almost 40 years ago. And I, I look back at that, and I, I can still remember where I was and what I was doing when I read this particular uh, chapter and verse and when God spoke to me. And it, it began a process in my life of serving him and of following him and of a desire to be a pastor. And then later on in life when I planted a church, the very name of our church and the very essence of what this church tries to accomplish came from this experience that I had with God. And so when I, when I would say to you, why is the most interesting man in the world to me today, it would begin right here. Luke, this is Luke 4.16 from the NIV. Uh, it's speaking of Jesus, and it just simply says he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Now let me just stop and just make a quick comment here before we go any further. A lot of times I get asked, why is church even necessary? I mean, I, can't we just stay home and worship God there? Isn't, it, isn't he everywhere all at one time? So really, isn't this superfluous? Isn't this man-made? Isn't this something that really, it, it's, it's of, an, uh, of no account to us really today? And the truth of the matter is, Jesus is our model for how to live life if we're believers. Do you agree with that right there? So when we see things that Jesus did in his life, if that's his custom, it should be our custom. Do you agree? Yeah. If Christ was merciful, if Christ was full of grace, if, 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 if Christ, uh, uh, all that Jesus did, if we follow him, that's what we do. Well, here we have in this particular verse, they jumped ahead, but what it said was, as was his custom on the Sabbath day, right? He's at synagogue. This, folks, this is not some bygone era. This is what Jesus did, and because he did it, there is a, necessary, a necessity for us to do it. Make sense? It's just that simple. All right, so he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Uh, thank you for going so fast right there. He stood up to read when he was at the Sabbath. These guys are fast, not good-looking, but really fast. He stood up to read. I'm teasing. He stood up to read, and the scroll... <laughs> now they'll just turn it off. He stood... Don't do it. Do not do it. He stood up to read... And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Now, so context, this is the very first time Jesus is ever publicly standing up to do any ministry. At this point in his life, he just simply has been, he's been one of them. He, is, he has never stood up and taught. He has never stood up and, and identified himself as anything other than they know him as this is Mary's son, this is Joseph's son. He grew up in Nazareth with us. I'm sure... Obviously, Mary and Joseph and his family knows. They, they remember how he was born and the prophecy and the miraculous that came there. But everybody else at this point doesn't know. So this is really, this is the very first time he reveals himself. So he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, remember this, we're going to come back to this. Isaiah was handed to Jesus, unrolling it. Remember, he doesn't have chapter and book. He's got scrolls, the Torah. He unrolls from Isaiah. Uh, he found the place where it is written these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's reading from Isaiah, a prophecy that was written about Jesus almost a thousand years before he exists now on the earth. Uh, he's reading about this. Pro Can you imagine him reading a prophecy a thousand years before it's written and it's fulfilling him being there at this? Can you imagine? I, I just, so the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Then it goes on with the proclamation here. Uh, now they're slow. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners... Recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus stands up. He, he reads from Isaiah. 
He reads a prophecy about himself and what the Messiah is going to do, that the Messiah has been sent to set at liberty the captive, to heal blind eyes, to open deaf ears, those who are oppressed, those that the devil has just simply uh, put his feet on top of, the, the ones that the enemy is just down. The, the, Jesus has come to set those people free. Who are those people? All of us. Every one of us find ourselves in that position in life without Christ. We are born underneath the dominion of sin and the, the, the savior of that world is the devil, man. That's, that's the ruler of that world. That's what we're born into. And Jesus said, I came to set what was, what was broken back to right, what has been lost, I'm coming to find, what has been, what has been stolen, I'm gonna take back and give to you. And Jesus proclaims, this is who I am. And then his next words are, this is fulfilled in your hearing today because I am he. And the place at first is amazed that he teaches not as a teacher of the law, but as one having authority. And then they become intellectually offended like, wait, this is blasphemy. They're going to take him and throw him off a cliff. Well, the very first thing, he just walks right through the crowd out to do his ministry. It's, it's an amazing thing. But what I want to point to you in this right here, so I'm 15 years old, and I know most 15-year-olds aren't this cognizant. I, I didn't always live. Maybe it was one night out of 365 out of 15 years that I actually was. Okay, I admit that to you. But at some point that night, uh, in the middle of the night, I remember asking the Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And for some reason, I thought, I, I need to look in the Bible. I knew that much. And I went and found a Bible, found this scripture in the Bible when I was reading. And as I was reading it, I felt the Lord speak to me and say, I've called you to preach. I've called you to proclaim. I've called you to set at liberty the captive. I've called you to do the same thing. This is Jesus' ministry, to restore. And how does it get done today? He calls us to do it. I remember hearing that. There's a, I've told the story many times. I won't go back into it right now. But bottom line, it set my life uh, in, a, in a direction where I began to prepare to do that. I, I, the person that I married, listen, this is important. The person that I married had to agree this is what she wanted to do with her life too. I couldn't marry somebody that wanted to do something else. Does that make sense? This is where we had to go. So we were in agreement about that. And then, and then as I went to school, the school that I went to, uh, we had to be in agreement that this is what the school taught, what they were going to do. I mean, everything, my life took a particular course, and Jesus took the main place in my life. Well, fast forward, I graduate, and I, we begin to work in churches, and we're youth pastors, and we become associate pastors. At some point in 1998, uh, January, the Lord spoke to me in a sovereign way and to leave behind what you have, go to Denver and start a church. And I'm, I'm encapsulating it here. It was over a, a little longer period of time and through really seeking it. But that was what it was. Leave this behind and follow me. And I remember when we decided we're going to do that and, and we're going to follow God to do this and it's all coming to this formation. I remember thinking, what do we call this church? Because names are important. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Names really do have a meaning behind them. And, I, we, we, and at that time, in 98, everybody was naming something community church, whatever community church. It was like the popular, the, whatever community church. And, and we were looking, where do we go? And all those things God was talking to us about. But when we sat for the name, the name Jubilee was what he gave us, and this was why. When Jesus stood up and he reads from Isaiah, remember we read that right there, he's reading from Isaiah. Where does Isaiah get it from? Actually, from the book of Leviticus. And I know you're saying, like, can anything good come from the book of Leviticus? yes. <laughs> There actually is some good stuff from Leviticus. Leviticus 25 is the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee simply was for, uh, for, the, for, the, for the Jew. Here's how it worked in the, Old in the Old Testament. In the 49th year, they were to proclaim 
we're coming into the 50th year, and for the 50th year, every 50th year is going to be a jubilee. And the jubilee works for everybody in Israel. If you are a Jew, this, is, this, this works for you. No matter where you are in the world, these three things happen to you. Number one, you return back to your homeland, back to the promise, back to the thing that God gave you, back to the thing that makes you different from everybody else. This is what God gave you. He assigned this to you. This is God's. It literally represents to Israel, this is God's promise. So no matter where you were in the world, you, no, matter, no matter if you had sold your birthright, no matter if you were in, in, in debt, no matter what, you could go back to what God promised you. That's, that's what would be proclaimed. The second thing was if you were a slave, if you were, uh, if you were in bondage in any way, shape, or form, you could declare to whatever bondage was over your life, it is jubilee and you have to let me go. So can you, wouldn't you love to write on your visa bill? <laughs> jubilee. Just go, my pastor taught about this and I'm spiritually a part of Israel, so there you go, visa, thank you. Uh, wouldn't that be nice? Some of you are like, I don't have a visa. Okay, American Express, whatever you would, you know, whatever you would write on. But it'd be nice. But so at that time, so many people were indentured in, in, in servitude for many reasons, whether it was debt that put them in that position or whether it was just simply uh, whatever in life had put them there. You could go back to the promise that God had given you as a foundation. You could proclaim freedom from any debt in your life, anything that was over you. And last but not least, wherever you were in the world, you returned to your family during that one-year time so that you kept the connection of family as relevant and before you and as a part of your life. And I remember when I read that, here, what Jesus ultimately is trying to get across to these people. So it's written about in Leviticus. Isaiah the prophet then writes about it in Isaiah 61. And when Jesus stands up to do his first public ministry, he pulls all of those things together. He's pulling Leviticus 25, Isaiah 61, and he stands up, and this is what he's trying to proclaim. The year of Jubilee, it represented in the Old Testament, they were a type and a shadow, a, a forecast of what it was going to be. But what Jesus is saying is, I am the year of Jubilee for you. Not once every 50 years, but I am a permanent Jubilee for you. I set you free from bondage. I set you free from, from the things that are over your life that put you in debt, that put you in, in servitude. I set you free from the things that have kept you from being a family. I have come to bring back God's original intention for creation, which is that you live with the Jubilee. That's what he announced to people. And if you, if so many people, when, they, when they, they, they read about Jesus historically and they don't understand that Jesus is the representation, everything that God desired for us, Jesus is come to bring it all back. What we gave away, what we lost. God creates it, puts us in charge of it. We basically hand the keys to the kingdom to the enemy. So how do, how do we do that? By doing our own thing, by going our own way. When you read Adam and Eve, don't read about two people who lived a long time ago and think, man, if I was Adam, I would have done it different. You're wrong. If you've ever sinned one time, you are Adam. If you've ever blown it one time, you are Eve. Has anybody in the room not done that one time? At least. You've done it today, I bet. In the last 20 minutes, maybe. It's what we do, yes or no. So we joke about it because we see it in smaller scales, but the real reality is that when we choose to do our own thing and go our own way and not to live our lives for the things that God says, we are choosing to make ourselves God. And it separates us from him, and it threw this entire world upside down. What God created this world to be. Can you imagine a world where everything worked the way it was. When you go to work, it works out. 
Do you know that's part of the curse that we live with, that we work by the sweat of our brow, not only meaning that it takes hard work, but that there's just something, no matter how hard you work, it just doesn't quite work out the way you want it to work. You ever been there? Relationships ever been like that? No matter how hard, it just doesn't quite, ugh. That's the curse of a fallen world. But that's not the way God created it. He created this perfect environment with two people who are in a perfect relationship and basically says, here's the only thing that you can't do. Don't eat from the knowledge of good and evil. And the very thing that they do is, and if it's just that easy in your mind, like, God, if I, I, I would have done different, go home and don't sin. Don't, I mean, nothing and find out. It's just simply, it's a fallen nature that we now live with because that's who we are. Jesus. Jesus is the restoration of God's original intention for creation. We want it to be right. We want it to be fixed. We want it to go back. We want to experience. How do you get there? We can't. Jesus is that. Jesus is God the Father himself sending his son to fix what we broke. We broke it. We couldn't fix it. And God had mercy on us by sending Jesus. Jesus, the whole message of Jesus is he's just simply about the jubilee. He's the restoration of God's original intention. He accomplished everything that he wanted for us by Christ. Now you look around our world and you're like, okay, so where is it? It, This world before us, listen, I'll come to this at the end of my message, but let me explain very quickly. If you want it to be perfect like Jesus, come back and write everything that's wrong. Okay, wonderful thing to, to want, but let me just say, once the author of the play comes back, it's frozen at that time. Nothing can ever change. So that means everybody that doesn't know what you know about Jesus is stuck in that place forever. Are you okay with that? Do you ever think about that? I'll go there in a minute. Let me, let me, just, let me show you the Jubilee. Isaiah 61.2, Leviticus 25. It's the release from bondage, the return to family, and the restoration of promise. The release, the return... And the restoration. Jesus is the release, the return, and the restoration. In the Amplified Bible. Those of you that may have been around here for any length of time. Right when we first built this building. On the wall when you go down the stairs to the children's church. This, this was like, this was my scripture. Um, and I, in the Amplified it just, it takes Luke chapter 4 and 18. And it just, it, it blows that verse up so big. And it announces what I'm trying to, trying to teach you right now. So when I read this, I'm like, we're going to proclaim this. So we actually had it as a mural going down the stairs for a long time. Anybody remember those, those days? This, so this is, this is how it reads in the Amplified. The year of Jubilee, Jesus is standing up. He's proclaiming the accepted and the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the day when the salvation of God and the free favors of God profusely abound. Jesus represents all of God. God is not angry. God is not mad. God is not like out to figure out how to deal with your sin. He has already done that. That's past tense. Jesus has taken care of every one of those things. The only thing left today is this. Do you want to be in relationship with God through Jesus? That's the only thing that's left. All of your sin has already been paid for. It's already been nailed to Christ's cross. It's taken out of the way. The only thing left for people today is to be persuaded to be in relationship with God. Now, that, that, that sounds so simple. Why is it the church messes up that very simple message with telling people all the things they need to do in order to be attractive to God? Live this way, act this way, do these things. Of course, 
Righteousness has its place. But the truth of the matter is, man, the only righteousness we have is what Jesus has done for us. And when we come into relationship with him, all of that is given to us. Literally, Christ represents the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord. And if you serve Jesus, that's the year you live in for the rest of your existence. Not only in this life, but all of eternity. You're accepted and acceptable to God because of Jesus. God, what a wonderful thing that is right there. So if you really get that, then I don't have to tell you that Jesus is the most interesting person who was, is, and will be. You get it. You understand it. But people can sit there and not, he's just another figure. He's just another alternative. He's just another reality. He's your reality, not mine. No. He's God's way. All of religion in the world all represents on some level man's attempt to be good and find God. I get that. I'll agree with that. I'll say that of all the world religions, that, that most, if not all, want to put forth the idea that by doing these things, acting this way, going this direction, we can make ourselves acceptable to God, and therefore, when it's all said and done, God will be okay. But <laughs> what a delusional issue that is. Because the truth of the matter is, none of us can do anything to be acceptable to him. None of us. Jesus is God's attempt to reach man, not man's attempt to reach God. Jesus is not do these things. Jesus is accept what I've done. Come into a year of jubilee. What if you could go to people and tell them, here's God's plan. He wants you to be restored. He wants you to be literally, if you look at this, released, returned, and restored. What if that was just simply God's plan? Wouldn't that make that person the most interesting person who ever lived? See, you know, we live in a day I was thinking about this. You stand up and you teach this to people who, here, here's the culture we live in. What a difference between fame and greatness. What a difference between fame and greatness. Um, a famous person. There's all over the news all the time just famous people, people that they've done nothing great in their life. They're just simply the Kardashians. <laughs> Do you know that that name is looked up on the internet more than any other name? What great thing have they ever done? Name one great thing. And if you yell something, please think about what you say before you say it. <laughs> She dyed her hair blonde. Come on, man. What great thing. But they're the most famous people. You say their name and everybody knows them, right? But what great thing have they done? We live in that culture. That culture that it's adulation for nothing. What makes someone great rather than famous is if they do something that helps everyone, not them. If they live their life to serve everyone. Mother Teresa was great. You agree? But Mother Teresa is, listen, nothing compared to Jesus. She did what she did because of Jesus. And so we live in this culture today where when I say he's the greatest person who was, is, and will be, some people are like, it's just a, no, man. He's not just famous, he's great. Because he did everything to restore and to bring back and to give to us what's been broken and taken away from us. And I feel sometimes, when I try to teach that, I feel so inadequate to try to tell people how great he is. 
I want to find the right adjective. Just to, if I could just describe him in the right way. And all I know how to do is to tell how great he is in my life, what he's done for me. Jesus is great. He's not just famous, he's great. He's done more for everyone in this world than anyone. And did it equally. If I move from the idea of Jesus being the restoration of God's original intention, the jubilee for all of mankind, let me, let me go to that place I was at just a second ago. The idea of how much longer do we live in this time? How much longer till, till God does right everything that's wrong? How much longer till it's all put back together? How much longer till we can see it? The world we live in reflects it. Before I go right to the heart of it, let me try to just do this real quick. The very reason I sit on a platform this weekend, the very reason that we try to bring a message to Lakewood and to Highlands Ranch, the Castle Rock and the Lone Tree and to Denver, the reason we do what we do is with the understanding that we only have so long to proclaim to people that it's Jubilee. Jubilee is a season. It's, a, it's a, like it lasted for one year, the 50th year. And at the end of the 50th year, you'd go back to a count of 49. Jesus said, look, I came spiritually. From this point on, it's Jubilee for you spiritually. But we live in a season right now where this is the time where we can tell people that God's will for their life is Jubilee. And we're at a point in history where Jesus himself taught, when I go away... It will feel like at, towards the end of it, I've been gone a long period of time. And many of my servants will look around and go, you know what, he's not coming back. And they will begin to wander. And they'll begin to do things just like the rest of the world does. And then at a point when someone's not aware, the master comes back. And his point is, here's what he says. So be watchful. Be waiting. Be looking. Be aware. That's a warning to us who know. But what are we supposed to be doing in the meantime? Listen, there's a whole world of people who have never heard that God is not mad. There's a whole, there are millions of people in our world who don't even know the name of Jesus and that Jesus is God's jubilee to them. I, I, let me show you something that, um, th this, was, this was interesting. We, we've talked about India recently and I want to show you a picture that I, I think is cool. They'll bring it up on the, on the big screen behind me. Um, this, th we, we've done two trips to India in the last um, like three weeks, four weeks, somewhere in that, that time frame. One of them, I talked, we raised uh, money for a security wall around an orphanage there that deals with children. Three, uh, fourth, and fifth grade kids that are caught in sex trafficking. You gave, we needed 10 and you gave 20,000. Oh, by the way, can I, just, I'm, I gotta, can I just tell you something really cool? I shared this with our board the other night. Um, so you give $20,000, a little more than $20,000, $25,000. And um, because you gave it for that purpose, we, that's where we put it at. So we gave it to the team that was going over there. And I just said, Ethan, just do me a favor, Pastor Ethan. I said, just ask. I, I, I want to know what his total budget is for the year. I want, how much does this twenty five make of his budget? So Ethan sends me an email in the middle of the night and uh, and, and Ethan goes, John, I sat down, and, and I, we, we got this document. We'll put, we'll put together a video and show it to you. Um, 
the guy's yearly budget for his ministry was $20,000. And you gave him one offering more than his budget in an entire year. Every, every project, every project that this guy wants to do, we're able to help say yes to every project he wants to. Okay, so that's neat. But there was another team that went to India at the same time, another part of India. And this is uh, Pastor uh, Murley, our missions pastor, and Pastor Evan, Lakewood campus pastor. And they go to India to, uh, can you make out this little village here on this hill? Can you see where I'm talking about up there? Okay, there's one to the left and one right in the middle. Those villages have never heard the name of Jesus one time. Never one time has anyone gone to that hill and told those people the name of Jesus. Document it. We know this. We are supporting five missionary pastors who have gone to that place. Here's, here's how they become pastors or become missionaries. They have to establish churches. And then those are the people that they are missionaries to right there. So here's what the guy told us. He said, come back in one year. And he said, we'll have a church in that village right there. And people will know the name of Jesus when you come back in one year. And it's literally made up of millions of people throughout the southern part of India who don't know the name of Jesus. And you are supporting five pastors who are now going to that part right there to reach people. Let me, let me show you this. C.S. Lewis said it this way. When the author of the play walks onto the stage, the play is over. You and I live in this great jubilee where God has given everything back to us. Man, he is restored to us. When we die, we go to heaven based on the work of Jesus, our lives. God has done it. The reason he hasn't come back yet is that we're supposed to do what, we're supposed to be the ones who announce jubilee to people who haven't heard it yet. And we can sit around and go, I wish Jesus would come back. That's fine. And there's a reward for wanting him to come back. The Bible does say that. But this is the truth. Once he comes back, the world is frozen. And those who never heard, listen, are stuck in that position right there. And I know that raises many theological questions that you and I are not the judge of. Here's what we're the judge of. While we're here and we know, we're supposed to tell everybody that we can the good news that Jesus loves them, cares for them. He's the restaurant. He's the time of Jubilee. And we live our lives very much just taking in and not putting out. That makes sense? That's what he calls us to do. I, I, I thought, what, what a great scripture. Let me show you this, this thought right here. Matthew 24. And I'll, I'll end with this. This is Jesus. He says, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then look at the last part of the sentence. And say it with me. And then the end will come. Want him to come back? Want to hasten him coming back? We don't go start wars. We don't want a jihad. We don't want to chop anybody's head off. Here's what we want to do. Let's tell people that Jesus loves them. And when the last one who needs to hear hears, guess what? The Father will tell the Son, now's the time. But when you think that, it says a testimony to all nations. You know this is a nation right here. And that there are people even right here who have never heard. That don't know. What, what a great job we have in front of us to be able to tell people what the Father thinks and how he feels and where his heart is at. If we could ever 
really get this. Not just like, okay, I, I theologically get it, but get this good news. How could we not radiate this to the whole world, man? It really is the most interesting thing in the world. It's the answer for everything you see on the news. It's the answer for all of the questions that are out there. It's God's literally yes to the people who are asking what about and how does. That's Jesus. What a chance. What a chance for us to do something with that. So, Lord, God, we just open our hearts to this right now. Father, I want to ask... Lord, as people hear this message, Lord, they sit on this weekend and hear this message at one of our campuses or, Lord, maybe they're listening to it even a little time after I've taught it. God, whenever they hear it right now, Lord, if they've never, if they've never come to the conclusion that you're their jubilee, that you're their restoration, that you're their freedom, that you're their promise, that I want to give everyone who sits in this nation and who hears this message a chance to respond to it. But at the same time, God, while we sit here, we also think, Lord, especially if we do know of all the places in the world who have never had a chance to hear, to know, to understand that Jesus is the Jubilee, that he is God's year, time, of favor. So we could personalize it this way. You're sitting at one of our campuses right now. And I just ask you the simple question. Do you know him as God's restoration of promise to your life? Not do you know about a historical character named Jesus? Not do you have an understanding of who Jesus is in the world, but do you know him as God's restoration of promise to you, of deliverance to you, of freedom to you? If you say, Pastor, I don't know him that way. I know him historically. I know the character Jesus. I've heard about him from the Bible, but I don't know him as God's restoration of those things in my life, then the question is just simply, do you want to know him? Do you need the promises of God? Do you need the freedom that Christ provides? Do you need the salvation that God offers through Jesus? It's not religion. It's not church. It's not just being good. God reaches down through Christ and restores our lives. The things that have been taken and broken and stolen. And if you go, Pastor John, remember me when you pray this weekend. Because I want to know Jesus that way. I want to know him as God's promise, God's redemption, God's restoration, God's faithfulness. And I want you to just remember me when you pray at any of our campuses. Our campus pastors will be standing right in the place that I am right now to make sure they pray over you. But wherever you are, I just right now want to recognize you and I want to pray for you. You say, Pastor, that's me. Just raise your hand right now. Just pray for me when you pray this afternoon. I want to remember and see Jesus that way in my life. Yep.
I see you can put them right back down. You have to hold them up. You bet. Listen, there's not a right way or a wrong way to ask for it. It's just that you ask for it. It's that you just say, God, be merciful to me and help me. I want to know your promises. I want to know, I want to know Jesus. So from your heart, let this be your prayer. Father, just do what only you can do right now. Lord, restore us into relationship with you. Restore what's been taken. Restore what's been broken. Restore what's been stolen. God, put back to the original meaning of what you've given us. Life, joy, peace. Lord, put back what we gave away. God, thank you right now for setting people free from the enemy. Thank you, God, for setting us free from ourselves. And thank you for doing what only you can do. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Make Jesus more real in our lives than ever before. God, when we really say he's the most interesting man who ever was, is, and will be, show us, God, how that's true and that's right. Let it not just be something that we say, but let this be a place where people come into knowing he's the most interesting man who ever lived. God, I thank you for that, and I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, folks.